the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Looking for strategies to help you protect your portfolio in these uncertain times? Visit RobBlack.com. RobBlack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, invested in more. Welcome into the show. It's hump day. It's the middle of the week. I'll be honest, uh, having done this show for 25 years almost, um, it's like 22 and a half. So what do you say? Over 20, under 25, somewhere in there. Um, let's see. Wait, nine, six, 20. Yeah, it's it's 25 years now. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Since that's crazy. Oh, boy, time passes. But um, thanks for listening. Let's have a good show. Wednesdays are one of my favorite days to do the show. And Fridays, Wednesdays, I get to talk to Patrick O'Hare, who I've talked to for 20 years. And we have a relationship. I like that. And he's been more right than wrong. Fridays, I like because that's where I focus on the strategy of what we try to do here. Don't always get it right, but we try and we get it more right than wrong or I wouldn't be doing it for 25 years. Thanks for believing in me. Thanks for sticking around for all these years. Let's have a fun show today. Sometimes a picture is not worth a thousand words. Wall Street was bedlam yesterday. They didn't really show it. But at one point in the day, early, stocks weren't trading right. There was a system issue. 250 stocks went down. Um, names like Walmart and McDonald's. It was bad transactions and that's the one thing you can't have like on 9-11 when the market shut down it had to get back up as fast as possible and it did uh, when people were still freaked out about terrorism when people were still scared on the streets they knew that they had to pre- f- provide financial stability for the world it's much bigger than you think the importance of wall street and i'm happy to be a representative Yesterday, the NASDAQ SP 500 were losers. They could not hold on and continue to build. It's earnings season, and we got some big updates there. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was up slightly yesterday, so value beat growth. That's what I want to get at. Last year, value beat growth. This year, growth was beating value. Oh, on Capitol Hill yesterday, Ticketmaster defended itself against senators who are trying to understand why buying concert tickets invites the same level of stress as negotiating a hostage situation. That is so true. My first experience with Ticketmaster is a brilliant one. Um, back in the 1980s, I wanted to take my sister. Well, I wanted to go to see concerts, right? Uh, I took my sister to see Madonna. I took my sister to see Tiffany. I took my sister to see Millie Vanilli. And to get good seats, all you had to do was camp out at a Ticketmaster location the night before. I was at the age where I could do that. Grab a sleeping bag, grab some coffee or something. And what it was was Ticketmaster told venues like Macy's and uh, like uh, university basketball stadiums, hey, if we put a machine in your facility, 
people will come in and buy tickets, but they'll probably also buy clothes at Macy's. And we'll give you a piece of the action, but we're going to take a big piece of the action because we're putting in these machines. And that's how Ticketmaster started. No one else could compete with that rollout of machines in retail locations. There was a Bruce Springsteen concert that I waited in line for, and it was it was silly. Now you wait in line at your own home, and it's it's a queue that you're like, oh, somehow I got booted out of the queue. I've been here for three hours. So Ticketmaster fumbled the presale of Taylor Swift's era's tour tickets in November. I, I think the culprit was Taylor Swift's management. You don't release a whole tour all at the same time. Because people in San Antonio were logging in. People in San Francisco were logging in. Like It, it was too much. And I get it. I'm not saying Ticketmaster is, is not evil. I seriously looked at investing in Ticketmaster through the years. It's been on my list because they're a monopoly. And what better than the game of monopoly than to own every decision when it goes to go to live music or almost any decision that, that creates live music. And then you start to abuse it and it gets even worse. So Senator Amy Klobuchar, Democrat, she kicked off Rose by accusing Ticketmaster of being a monopoly and using a cringy Taylor Swift pun to explain that Americans know the effects of too much market consolidation. When you see Congress people try to, to do a little Taylor Swift, Tay-Tay rap, it's embarrassing. Senator Josh Hawley, he criticized Ticketmaster for attempting to monopolize the resale market. Um, there's many, many, many more. Ticketmaster blamed the bots. Live Nation's president and CFO, Joe Picard, accepted responsibility for the Taylor Swift blunder, but he also blamed an influx of bots for causing disruptions. There has to be a better way. I can't be waiting in line with a bot because a bot has nothing to do. Whether it's Michael Jordan sneakers. I'm not saying Ticketmaster's in the right here, but bots have to be figured out. It's not fair. Um... Anyhow, and anyway, let's move forward, shall we? I think we should. Some headlines out there today. The Department of Justice sued to break up Google's ad business. Here's the thing. If you own shares of Google, that may be a good thing. Typically, when a company gets broken up or separated, it unlocks value. Because the right hand that is, say, marketing has to work with the left hand that is advertising search with the left foot that is, say, television, YouTube TV. And sometimes they don't all work together well. And sometimes you just get a little bit too big and you, you cut them in a lean. You can figure out which one you really like the most. Sometimes you pay for the boring while you're getting this exciting. Walmart's is handing out raises. The country's largest private employer is boosting its minimum wage for hourly employees to $14 and $12 starting next month. The pay bump will affect 340,000 employees. And the raise means companies' average hourly wages move to above $17.50. Handing out raises is not trendy in layoff-ridden times, but the demand for workers in retail and logistics has stayed robust. Is this all we need to know? Probably not. Let's move on to today, shall we? What are some of the big stories out there moving and shaking the markets? Weak Microsoft guidance is weighing on the market. That's good news and bad news. 
The man that I interview on Monday is going to be interviewing today for a quarterly webinar for EP Wealth. Not made public, but I've I've been working behind the scenes, and I'm going to try to get these made public by the end by the middle of the year. Keep in note, we made some of these internal EP Wealth documents available to people who came to the seminar last time. So I'm slowly thawing the uh, separation of corporate. Uh, and client from prospects, you. <clears throat> Microsoft has weak guidance, but you can everyone can learn from corporate research. That's what I really, really love. Tesla is going to be in focus this afternoon when it unveils its fourth quarter results. Dr. Horton, a big home builder, reported a solid quarterly quarter yesterday with upside in earnings and margins, but the stock was unable to break out. Activity in the housing market should improve sequentially into the spring selling season. Not quite dead, but not quite growthy either. NVIDIA is on the radar right now as it's trading at 50 times earnings per share. And their quarter better be a good one because the stock has risen a lot on the back of, oh, that'll be an artificial intelligence play like chat GPT. It needs to, to deliver. Otherwise, you can see how there's be some calamity. We're off to a good start. But we still have a recession looming or potential recession looming. Be cautious. I'm Rob Black. Don't want to work forever? Check out the retirement planning guide on robblack.com. That's robblack.com, powered by EP Wealth. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, more. I have a health savings account, and inside my health savings account, I am able to take what my company gives me and invest in. I typically do it twice a year. Yesterday was one of those days. I got in front of my screen. I looked at my options and I was like, do I want growth or do I want value? Part of my growth argument, not all of it, was thinking through myself, talk, thinking it through of how do I feel about the last year? I've seen some companies that have made me wealthy in the last 15, 10, 5, 10, 15, 20 years that have seen their prices come down. And I typically always say things psychologically, behaviorally, like I wish I would have owned more of that, or I wish, you know, I would have doubled down on that position during the last recession. So yesterday I had a choice of buying Microsoft. I did not. I talked myself out of it. I was like, they've had job cuts, but I need to see their earnings get slashed. If I was making my decision to buy today, it might be on my radar. Because now that they've had job cuts and earnings expectations lowered, it's going through the process of figuring out where it should fall to. I can't tell you until sometime next week what I did end up purchasing. I promise to. Um, I'm just not allowed to. I'll say this. You won't hear me talking about the company for three days on air. How's that? If you can figure it out between now and then, and no, the name does not rhyme with Amazon. Let's talk about this approach. I was being a little more conservative yesterday. I haven't seen the earnings fall. In the next segment, I'm going to be talking to Patrick O'Hare. He wants to see earnings fall before he tells his, his viewers and his readers at briefing.com. It's all clear. I don't mind being on the conservative bias, especially after a year like we had last year, saying, you know what? another year like that 
we're well, not going to have four. We typically never have had four years in a row. It would be a crazy abnormal occurrence, almost as abnormal as aliens coming to the planet and announcing they're taking over the world. If you want to be on the conservative side, here's some thoughts for you. There's no problem with cash. Right now you can get 4% in cash. Do you hear me? 4% in cash is pretty sweet. Now, is it keeping up with inflation? No. But is it better than 0% in cash or jumping into a tech stock that, that pulls back? Yes. I don't remember my elementary school days or was it middle school? Don't fire until you see the white of their eyes in the Revolutionary War. For people in the market, like E.P. Wells, Adam Phillips, who I'm going to be talking to later this morning about the whole first uh, fourth quarter. And for people like Patrick O'Hare, who've been in this market for 25 years, there is no shame in identifying the flags that you find important and saying, I don't see them yet. He wants to see job cuts. I no, no. He wants to see earnings expectations slashed. I want to see job cuts. We're starting to get both. Is that the white of their eyes? Trust me. In the Revolutionary War, even when you saw the white of their eyes, there was another wave coming. Is it going to be that bad? I don't, I, don't, I don't know. We've got a lot of tools to try to make sure it's not. Another thing you can do if you want to be conservative is have invest in stable value funds. We learned last year that, that value outdid growth. If you were down 30% last year, you were in growth. If you were down 15%, you're in, in value. It's important to note, though, stable value funds aren't available in every choice that you make whether it be an IRA or 401k. But you should look at all the options and decide on that. Yesterday, I chose value over growth. Number five, if you're worried about the stock market and being growthy versus conservative, you could say things to yourself like, I printed out my social security statement yet, uh, two days ago. Something I do on a regular basis. It's really an odd thing to say out loud. <clears throat> but I'm 10 years plus away. I have a contract to work for another three years. And then we'll see where I'm after that. I'm not, pull, I'm not pulling a Howard Stern on you. I'm not. But that's kind of where I'm at, where I'm starting to look around. I'm nowhere near 62. If at 62, I wanted to take my social security, I'd get $2,408 a month. If I wait till I'm 65, I'd get 3,070. If I wait till I'm 70, I'd get $4,500 a month. So I looked at my statement. I saw those refresh numbers. I wanted to get a feeling for where I am. I'm not counting on social security to cover too much of my retirement. Heine, let me explain why. Fidelity has a 45% rule where they say you should really use it as a guide versus a set in stone religion to finances. You've heard that you want to have 10 times your salary saved for retirement by age 67. I agree with that. Somewhere between 10 and 20 times. That can help you identify a retirement savings goal because it's kind of weird. Your number is different than my number. Psst, what's your number? 
So Fidelity has a 45% rule, which states that your retirement savings should generate about 45% of your pre-tax pre-retirement income each year with Social Security benefits covering the rest of your spending needs. As a result, a retiree who is earning $100,000 a year would need to have between fifty-five dollars and $80,000 per year in Social Security. Let's do the math on mine. Four, was it 4000 Let me take a look again because I closed it. It was 4500 So that's going to cover 45000 Five, it's going to cover about $55,000 in retirement. Okay. So do I get a check that checkbox or do I have to continue saving? You see how it plays out? Um, in this case, if I was making 100000 I would need 55000 to 80000 per year in Social Security. So I would be able to say, check. I'm making a little bit more than 100000 So I'm a little bit bitter and upset. <laughs> that I'm on the low end of what Fidelity says is okay. Now, keep in mind, I'm not even 60. One minute. So I have time. Fidelity's 45% guideline dictates that a retiree's nest egg should be large enough to replace 45% of their pre-retirement. If you have $1 million in assets right now, you could probably get $40,000 to $60,000 a year in income. But two years ago, when interest rates were really low, you could probably get between 20000 and 40000 Oh, boy, right? See how much of a pain in the butt this is where you're like, I didn't know there was going to be math when I got old. And what really sucks is like, when you get old, you don't want to do math. I look at my kids' geometry, and I need to study it for an hour before I sit down with them. I need to refresh. Algebra, I'm really good at. Trigonometry, wonderful. Geometry, I'm like, what was the rule again? Sine over opposite adjacent. Tangent over opposite adjacent. You get the idea. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Next up, Patrick O'Hare. Visit the Rob Black Show online at robblackshow.com. Listen to archived podcasts, market updates, and information from EP Wealth certified financial planners online at robblackshow.com. I feel that we got a little bit of a head fake yesterday. The month of January has been very good. It's rewarded growth. Last year, value beat growth. So far this year, growth was beating value. And then Microsoft, oh, they were building the cards. They were, they were putting up the house. And the quarter looked really good after for 15 minutes. I was looking at briefing.com and Microsoft was up 10 bucks um, after reporting earnings. It looked pretty solid. I was like, did we turn the corner? Is growth going to do it? Is they going to build? The answer is no. It's down eight bucks today. It didn't hold those gains. Let's bring in Patrick O'Hare from briefing.com. Mr. O'Hare, I want to say outstanding work at briefing.com. Um, I was just punching in ticker symbols yesterday and watching the live in play as the market's closed and earnings season rolls out. It's a really nice little feature. I don't know if you've ever caught yourself doing that, but in play during earnings season is a lot of fun for me. Thank you. Sure thing, and good morning, Rob. Yeah, I um, well, I'm I'm living it in real time, actually. So I'm contributing to all that earnings information that's running through in play. So, uh, so I see it come across fast and furious, and sometimes not fast enough as we're crunching those numbers. I hear you on that. Um, it's a lot of information, <clears throat> and I think it does a nice job. Obviously, I've used your services. I just figured it out today for 25 years. And briefing.com is is wonderful at that. And I was talking about being excited to talk to you today because Microsoft did lower their earnings expectations. 
is this the flag or is this one of many flags or is this one of a few flags that you're going to be looking for to say it's safe to go back in the water? It's it's okay to be a long-term investor. Again, you don't have to worry about short-term fluctuations. Of course, you don't know us. And of course, you don't take responsibility for everyone out there because we're all different. But what did you make of Microsoft's, uh, not miss, but I would say gap in some some key areas. Right. Well, I think it was a you know a flag that suggested that the the market's enthusiasm here in January has probably gotten a little bit ahead of itself. Um, you know, we've seen since the start of the year a lot of the the lower quality uh, names really take off. Uh, that's consistent with kind of what's called a January effect, where a lot of those smaller uh, names with less liquidity, smaller floats, you know, they, they get hit with tax loss selling activity at the end of a year, and then they come, you know, roaring back on the basis that uh, they've been washed out. Uh, and you also seen a number of the high beta names, you know, do very well. And, and, and certainly these mega cap names and, and other growth stocks have done exceedingly well to start the year kind of under this, the same premise that they, you know, were hopefully washed out last year and, and now are due to rebound. But I think, you know, in the case of Microsoft, it's just a wake-up call, right, that uh, we're in a, a more challenging business environment and a more challenging earnings environment. And, uh, you know, Microsoft didn't have any any earnings growth, uh, and then it's projecting a, you know, a deceleration in the growth rate for its, you know, one of its most powerful growth engines, which is that Azure business. And, uh, you know, and if you have, you know, the biggest and the best talking about a, a slowdown, uh, it does create some concerns that, you know, other companies are going to be affected uh, uh, similarly, and therefore earnings prospects uh, for 2023 are going to be, you know, challenging to, you know, to meet higher expectations. And so I think you have a market taking a step back this morning that's just kind of recognizing that, you know, we're running into some valuation constraints here and the willingness to pay up for premium earnings just isn't as great as it used to be, um, you know, for a variety of reasons. It's interesting because I do a very different type of, I'm in the business with you, but in a very different world. I'm on very consumer facing I saw a headline pass that Microsoft says Xbox monthly active users hit a record 120 million people. And I'm like, Wall Street loves a good subscription and 120 million subscribers. Wall Street loves because it's visibility. I'm like, I can't do that story today because your story on the Asia business is bigger than my story on the Xbox uh, monthly. And my kid, I have to pay 20 bucks a month for him to play uh, Xbox. Anyhow, uh, what else is happening in the market other than Microsoft and uh, tech correction today? Sure. Well, I think, you know, it isn't just Microsoft today, right? That's obviously the most high-profile name, but yes. there's other names that have, you know, companies that have come out and reported, and the guidance just hasn't really, you know, or their actual results just didn't really, you know, live up to expectations. You know, you can lump in Boeing there, right, which had a huge miss relative to what was uh, earnings were expected. Um you know, uh, we had Kimberly Clark, a uh, big consumer products company, um, you know, didn't do so great in terms of its guidance. And then, you know, it's kind of for, it, what we saw with Kimberly Clark is that it, it benefited during the quarter from price increases. Uh, but those higher prices also took away from demand because volume was down in every segment uh, for that company. And then they're forecasting very little growth, you know, for 2023. But, uh, you know, Texas Instruments 
leading semiconductor company. You know, okay, earnings, nothing great, but still talking about, you know, a lot of concerns for the industrial side of the business and companies needing to work through inventory still. So, you know, I think we're just starting to get a, you know, picture here uh, coming into focus. We've only had about 100 of the 500 S&P 500 companies, you know, report earnings. But the early picture is just that, you know, things are slowing. Um, that's not altogether surprising, but the challenge for the market here right now is to try to figure out if what we saw happen in 2022 adequately discounted the slowdown that we're going to see in 2023. And uh, and that's an open question right now. And so that's why you're kind of going to get some of this volatility persisting here as that, you know, debate rages on. But we've got a lot more companies yet to report earnings. So probably within you know the next three to four weeks, we'll have some more. We'll definitely have more clarity on on what the market is really thinking about uh, valuation and whether it's been, you know, whether this earnings slowdown has been adequately discounted yet. So who's right? Is the market right with a 10-year Treasury pricing or is the Fed Reserve right with their fight on inflation? Um, Do you pay attention to the market getting that 10-year Treasury lower and lower? And and saying Mm -hmm. this is what's going to happen. Is it? I I look at the ten-year Treasury as smart money versus like Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what we call the Fed Reserve uh, financial media. Well, they 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 technically could both be right. Um, Okay. Ten years pricing in the the prospect that you know inflation is going to come you know down considerably. That could be born out of the fact that the Fed is going to stay really stubborn in terms of its uh, tightening policy. Um, and, uh, you know, the concern, of course, that, you know, some think is being reflected in that inverted yield curve where you have, you know, a three-month T-bill um, yielding, you know, what, uh, about 100 and nearly 120 basis points more than your 10-year note yield. You know, that inversion is, is triggering concerns about the economy ultimately sliding into a, into a recession. And uh, that, of course, would help cure some of those inflation problems. But I think it is one of the big risks for the stock market this year, right, is that, you know, uh, there's been a whole class of investors that's just been groomed to expect that the Fed is just going to ride to the rescue and it's going to blink any time there's, you know, weakness in the stock market. And, you know, I'm not convinced yet that uh, Fed Chair Powell and his colleagues are going to blink so readily this time. I think they really are trying to message here with the uh, recognition that, you know, there were past mistakes made, you know, back when in the early 80s when there was, you know, an effort to cut rates too soon. And then we allowed inflation to come back pretty, pretty rapidly. And and I don't think they want to repeat that mistake. And that's what they've been, you know, communicating over and over here. And so the idea that we're going to get a rate cut in 2023 still looks a little little uh, far-fetched in our estimation, and I think that the market could be struggling, you know, as the year progresses with the frustration of knowing that the Fed is sticking to its knitting and and is not going to cut rates. Um, And then if it were to cut rates, it will likely do so because things are are quite bad, you know, and that's not a good thing for earnings either. So we're just in a little bit of that, you know, in a pickle here, if you will. Uh, we've had a nice start to the year, but I think that's been driven mostly by, you know, positioning and sentiment more so than uh, than a true fundamental driver. I think if you take a step back and look at the fundamental picture, yes, inflation is getting better, but it's not as good as it needs to be. But earnings growth is slowing, and, uh, and that's really the more important driver. Um, and so I think you'll have a market that's just going to struggle to, to really, you know, make a, a you know, significant headway uh, uh, from current levels. 
just to show you the difference between what you and I do. And I'm, I'm going to kind of get in a kick out of this day. You talked about Kimberly Clark and how they've raised prices because tree prices go up and they make toilet paper and things like that. I talk about Kimberly Clark and I go, one of the best financial tips I ever learned was when you have children, small children, buy cheap toilet paper, one ply, sandpaper, whatever, because they're going to clog the toilet and you're going to pay a plumber and he's going to say you should use one ply instead of double ply and plush. You don't care about your baby's butt. And I, I tell that story on air and it's, it's an odd one, but um, cutting down on how much you spend on plumbers is just as important as picking the right stocks in your lifetime. And then I move on to the next time. Well, I have. <laughs> Go ahead. I was going to say one thing. I have four, I have four children, and I can relate to exactly what you just said. But I also want to add, from an investment standpoint, while Kimberly Clark's you know earnings weren't so terrific uh, and the guidance wasn't so terrific, they raised their dividend. You know, and uh, and that's one of the benefits of a company like Kimberly Clark. You still generate a lot of cash flow. Um, you know, they pay a well covered dividend, and and that's that's where the long term investing value you know also kicks in here. You're going to see these companies they'll ebb and flow with the business cycle, uh, but uh, they're certainly built for the long haul. And uh, the patient minded investor and a good quality name like that, you know, most likely comes out ahead in the end. Yeah, idea is that on the day we die, we'll probably still be using Kimberly Clark toilet paper, but maybe not Microsoft's Azure cloud platform. Thanks very much. I'm going to give you a good plug on the way out. I look forward to your big picture on Fridays. I start my day every day with your page one. Briefing.com is a reliable source of both domestic and international news. I was looking at the in-play yesterday in the last hour of the market, in the first hour after the market closed. You would have thought it was the first time I've ever experienced the joy of looking at how stocks work. You can find me online at Rob Black Show. You can find Briefing at Briefing.com. This interview featured on the Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more at RobBlack.com. So I want to talk a little bit more about Ticketmaster and Live Nation. I did a lot of work on it yesterday. It may not seem to be the most prominent story today, but I did a lot of work on it. And I want to kind of share some of that. We have a very weird relationship with Live Nation, in my opinion, um, and Ticketmaster, because they used to be two separate businesses. And in 2010, they merged. And looking back on that, the people who handle distribution and the people who handle content, should they be the one and same? We don't have many book publishers left. We don't have many companies that distribute books to stores around the country left. They've all merged into one another. Now, if they had gotten together and said, the two CEOs meet for lunch and said, hey, you handle book distribution and I handle book content? Let's make an exclusive deal with Amazon and make them pay more. That's against law. But if they merge and acquire each other, that's fine. Huh. Same thing happened with Live Nation and Ticketmaster. In 2010, they merged to become a multi-billion dollar three-in-one entity, an event promoter, a venue operator, and a ticketing service. Part of the debate in front of Congress right now is all three of those should be separate. And you saw musical artists get in front of Congress. And it's it, congressional meetings are fun. When I was in high school, I went to Capitol Hill and you got to watch a couple of congressional meetings. Um, I don't remember anything about any of them that I did, but I remember skipping out early and going to the Space Museum, the Smithsonian, and getting frozen ice cream. 
that wasn't frozen that was dry dry ice cream and my teacher said what 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 was the class you uh what was the hearing you went to and i was like i barely remember so anyway um the secondary market's kind of the wild wild west here and that's kind of where the problem is you also have bots controlling who gets the tickets in the secondary market then you get the resale market Ticketmaster probably is going to have to do more about verifying your ticket through maybe a blockchain technology. Because I know people who've spent $1,000 on a ticket showed up to the venue and the tickets didn't work because they bought them from a secondary market. And in this case, their secondary markets like StubHub, um, things like city tickets. You're like, who's city tickets? And you don't really know. Something needs to get done. Is Congress able to pull it off? And can you really blame the bots when, I don't know. It's pretty funny. I was watching Fast Times at Ridgemont High, probably like three or four months ago. And one of the very first scenes was um, one high school kid asked another high school kid, hey, can you get me tickets to Van Halen? He said, yeah, I'll get you front row for $25. And the guy goes, $25? Well, times have changed, right? Um, Congress could say to Live Nation, I knew you were in trouble, but Congress let the merger go through back in 2010. Who do we blame? Do we need to blame anyone or do, how do we fix it? Some of the data is pretty scary. Live Nation commands more than 80% of the market, so says Congress, whereas Live Nation says it's closer to 50 to 60%. Live Nation does control the largest and most profitable venues like the Chase Center. And they say things like, um, we have a 10-year contract with Chase and we'll sell all their tickets and we'll do promotion for all the events. And then you get into the who, who's doing the fees and why are there fees? What are the extra fees? And why isn't that priced into the event? Um, it's a mess. And... That's all I'm going to get to is it's a mess. It's a concern. And it, it, do I trust Congress is going to do anything with it? I really don't. That, that's kind of one of the weirdest things I could say out loud. It, but maybe you have more more faith. I've asked my kids, let's write a letter to Congress or Congressperson say, Let, let's 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 teach these guys a lesson. Or I went to a concert and I paid X amount of dollars and I'm only 12 years old. I'm not going to get my kids totally into being activists, but this is one where I, I think we all kind of understand short term live nation looks cheap. Medium term, it looks cheap in the long term. Are they going to be broken up or not? That's a big question. There's something called revenge travel happening in 2023 where we're going to spend a lot of money on travel. The airlines look like they should work even if the stock market doesn't work. That's a weird thing to say, but the airlines also have problems with some of the things the stock market has with, like cost of labor. So do I own shares of Live Nation? I don't. I've looked at it. I want it. I like the idea. But in the back of my head, it's almost like buying Philip Morris to me. We know Philip Morris makes cancer sticks. We know Live Nation takes advantage of 16-year-old kids who want to go see Billie Eilish or Taylor Swift who don't have $1,000 to spend, but rich daddies do. Or rich mommies, I, I should not be rude. 
I read an article on the young woman from The Last of Us, Bella Ramsey, where she was talking about her gender. And it was the first time I ever really, and this is showing you how naive I am. What are your pronouns? He, she, they, them. And she kind of identifies with the they, them. And the writer of the article did such a beautiful job of respecting her preferences that sometimes she doesn't really think she's a girl. And I was like, oh, that's how great writing is. It was a Vanity Fair article that was just talking about her career. And um, it was really, really well written for those of us who are sometimes ignorant on some of the social trends in the world. Anyhow, anyway, thank you so much. I got a big event coming up and another event after that. I got one in Cupertino in about three weeks, two and a half weeks. And then I got one in the East Bay, not yet announced, but it's coming. Um, You can learn more by always going to robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com. You can sign up today. We've taken away the event code, but if you've been to more than three events, we're not going to let you in. So we would love to see you, but please, please, please. It'd be nice if you're fresh blood, so to speak. Um, Interesting day on the markets. We'll be back tomorrow. I'm Rob Black. For more information about EP Wealth, visit robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.